0: Nelson, it should be the volume that I'm talking to you at 10 o'clock p.m. at the Farbringian and not the volume I'm talking to you at 3 a.m. at the Farbringian. <laughs> gotcha,
1: gotcha. It's something that people typically only have some familiarity with and limited exposure to. And it's usually from, from a distance. I literally live a life of hip hop, which is why someone, you know, to answer David's initial question about a chassid of yesteryear traveling through time and saying, well, this sounds good. I'd like to give it a try. That's why they would likely fall on their face.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome into the ZAL that Jewish study hall where there's no cost of entry, besides for your parents' disappointment that you're getting a little too observant. Uh, my name is David Grossbaum and joining me as always is my dear friend, Adam Valen-Levinson. And pretty soon we'll be introducing a very special guest, but hold on to your seats.
2: I'm very excited.
0: In today's episode, yeah, exactly. we will be discussing the purposes of Jewish song and what was going through the minds of the composers in their day. And the big question is whether, if those composers lived today, would they be making music in the modern tone with modern beats? And assuming the answer is yes, would we be giving them the same level of credence we do to other Jewish music as well?
2: We don't, we don't assume yeses. We argue, we argue until we get to maybe.
0: Use that for yourself.
2: So we never really talk about what we play as part of this intro. And you, you sent this to me and I really had no idea. What, what is that?
0: So uh, the presentation is obviously a little bit uh, sketchy because it's a bunch of friends <laughs> of mine that are ho- hollering at each other at a, yeah. a, a Hasidic gathering at three in the morning.
2: Just just a little <laughs> for naked, maybe. I was getting that I touch, a touch.
0: But that, that song that's being sung is a real melody and it's a Hasidic and more specifically Chabad melody. Within Chabad, melodies take up a whole bunch of space philosophically and theologically Um, just to paint the picture. There was a story already in 1798 with the first Chabad Rebbe and uh, his followers approached him and said, we're struggling to understand the mysticism and theology being taught by you. Do you have any suggestions for ways that we can perfect our minds? And he said song, He's, he, his response was uh, unequivocal. And he said, uh, song, if you perfect your uh, melodic appreciation, you know, obviously some people can keep it tuned and some people can, some people are, are more inclined toward great lyrics and others aren't, but everyone, if they work on it, can appreciate music more. And that was his suggestion to them already then. That, you know, that was at a time when there was probably a few tens of Chabad Hasidic melody. That was the first generation of Chabad. But today we've got maybe you know five hundred to a thousand just within Chabad uh, melodies, and that doesn't in- include the thousands of others across uh, Judaism.
2: What do you say? They're specific Chabad melodies. You mean they wouldn't be sung in other traditions, other schools of thought within
0: Judaism? They but be, they, they,
2: they they would be maybe. sung
0: by other schools of thought. They were composed by people that uh, subscribe to the Chabad philosophy got
2: it okay what's it yeah what's um so the one that we listen to what's the what uh, the one that we have on the uh, show what,
0: that's one of the wordless one? ones you have to ask me easier questions the wordless ones all have uh intense history i think that's a nigun his which means a uh, a melody sung by farbrängans, uh joyous joyous get-togethers of um, yeah <laughs> We do do, we, have enough, do exp- we have enough vernacular in here for you, Adam? <laughs> I
2: tried to explain, you know, in my, I tried to explain as best as I could for Reagan on our little bonus episode, the last one. Uh, but yeah, this may be the June. of all beginnings.
0: The, we're going to have to work on the um, four word definitions because once yeah. we go beyond the realm of four words, it's just requiring even more definitions. So the f- that's right. It's the same with
2: names. People, people don't really have more than four names, you know? And then you go, that's a no, we can find him.
0: So the, so the four word definition for, for bringing is a joyous, serious gathering of Jews, five.
2: That often includes drinking. Yes, Am I but wrong? not required. Not required, but every time I've ever ah, come for drink. You're you're bringing a bottle of, of vodka, you know, like that's that's what's for brought to the house. Yes, often. Okay.
0: So we're not and, gonna and so, okay,
2: so, so you have four words for niggin.
0: A Hasidic melody evoking emotions.
2: I don't think you can say Hasidic. It's you can't use any Hebrew or Yiddish in the definition take two
0: a jewish uh, jewish is so weak but i guess we have no choice we have to make it pithy a jewish melody evoking emotions why do you think jewish is too so it's just too general in this case i feel like we'd have to cut mm-hmm. it down within the populace but uh it'll work okay it'll work but uh, you know adam i really love the four word rule for definitions
2: we gotta hold ourselves to that man we uh that could, be, that could be very helpful in our in our lives, and not just for the pod. Right.
1: Yeah. Who is Nelson Zen? Nelson Zen. Yeah, my father always told me not to let my mind ride awake and not to waste my time, but else I find it out the harder way. More likely to get struck by lightning, son than win the lottery. But hold on, to your
0: dreams are always easy to Enough of us bloviating, we have a uh, a joy of a guest, uh, Waiting in the Wings, which we've already uh, had him wait too long. Today we're being joined by a dear friend of mine, Nussan Zand. Nassan Zand is, as I know him, a Hasidic rapper, but decided to add to his accolades by becoming a social worker, give back to the community in that way. This is so awesome. Hi guys, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I guess the topics we'd be exploring today is what the purpose of song is within Judaism, and whether modern music can translate those purposes in its own way. Uh, Nussan, you're obviously an accomplished artist, so I assume the answer for you is yes. But before we jump into the sources, uh, do you have any insight on that question?
1: Well, it's a very deep question, and kind of like Adam was saying, I'm I'm not sure if there's any concrete answer one, one can arrive at but I, I guess it depends on the the definition of of what is the purpose of tapping into a nigan and what's the purpose of the Negan itself. I would I would imagine that even in the realm of non-Jewish say let's say classical music, music from 150 years ago is is quite different um from even uh, classical composition nowadays um and i'm sure there are those who look back on the music of yesteryear with a certain fondness maybe it happened to be more pure or uh, maybe the the approach was more rigorous back in the day or, or just different um and obviously in the in the Hasidic world there there's a certain you know we we put we put previous generations on a, on a on a pedestal
0: hmm.
1: not 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 without reason but they're certainly on a pedestal there's that famous story about the the guy on the plane with his his children a Hasidic Jewish guy with his his kids who were fairly well behaved and a sitting next to another gentleman who had his kids you know running amok and being all crazy and the guy the the non-observant guy asked the Hasidic guy how is it that your kids are so well behaved like, well you know in my tradition i'm one step closer to moses coming down on the mountain and mount sinai and mass revelation and all sorts of you know incredible spiritual events in in your world you're one step closer to being a monkey <laughs> <laughs> woof
2: but that i mean i really feel like a big part of that is just what does yeah what does something get automatically just for being old you know you go into any bar and it's like established 1923 and now oh, it's probably cool and it's like guys they piss in the beer it's like doesn't matter 1923
0: (laughs) yeah say less uh say less (laughs) with with that explanation and 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 it's valid and before this podcast adam you actually quoted your dad who's also an accomplished musician uh saying a similar thing that within judaism obviously we 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 give so much respect to the previous generation generations and they gave their respect to their previous generation. So the older something is, it's almost, you know, unequivocally better.
2: Yeah. I, I think one thing that always grounds me, and this is maybe not coming from the, can things maintain that same level of meaning of appreciation, but coming from the depreciation side, my dad, he's a contemporary classical composer and he, and he turned me onto this book called the, uh, the lexicon of musical invective. And it is uh, an encyclopedia of terrible reviews of really famous music going back hundreds of years. And you recognize like the way that people tear things apart now. Oh my God, you know, it grates on your ears. How do people listen to this stuff? You know, it makes me want to throw tomatoes at whatever. And people have been saying that about Tchaikovsky, about, <laughs> about Beethoven, about everybody, mm-hmm. you know? And so if we could have those same reactions, you know, at all these different points, it is, there's some sense that, okay, we're changing, but our relationship to music has this, has this constancy.
0: So just to sum up what, what Nussin said, there is no hope in that department for modern music. In other words, if you're seeking oldness, antiquity within your music, then there is no escape of the space-time continuum, and new music will be new. So as far as that goes, uh, new music is hopeless. Uh, but if you if you peruse the the sources, that's definitely an element. But there are other elements that could be found within song that perhaps could be found within modern music. Nelson, was that what you were
2: saying? Do you have that that feeling about that certain kind of hopelessness with new new music?
1: Well, you know, I don't I don't know if I would call it hopelessness. I would say that the generations have changed, thus the music has changed. Is that necessarily a bad thing? No, but it does relegate the music of yesteryear to a certain special place and status.
2: Does that just mean that we have to wait? I I mean, if we wait with whatever is coming out now, it'll sort of, you know, it'll basically be analogous to what, you know what I mean?
1: I, I personally think that even going back thirty years and then going back eighty years, it's 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 still it's still different. Where whereas even the music from thirty years ago might have a certain status, it's it's not necessarily comparable to that which preceded it or that which came after.
2: Yeah. I just I think about that in the sort of modern context of you know, people listening to the Beatles, and just, you know, and songs that could have been written. 60 or more years ago but will that happen now you know in 2081 are people going to be listening to oops i did it again or like that i actually think they really might be but you know what i mean like are people i don't, I be
1: don't think i don't think it's like the legal status of a of of an antique like you get past 50 years and, and <laughs> now all of a sudden it's it's uh assumed this this new uh Quality, uh, but I, I think in, in particular when we're talking about Hasidic melodies, the you know people people were just cut from a different cloth back then.
0: But Nassim, I'm sorry for being so Talmudic, but let me let me put the question to you this way: Theoretically, if there was a um, a Hasid from the previous generation jumped into a time machine, we're talking prime time Hasid levels, you know, the most pious the most rigorously involved in his divine service. And he and he and he comes out of the time machine in 2021 and he kind of likes hip hop. And he says, you know, instead of investing his time in Hasidic melodies, he's going to take this new style and try to convey the same Hasidic meaning just in this new style in the way you do. You That's exactly what you do. Um, so obviously you'd be humble and say, I'm not that level, but let's say someone of that level came to this generation. Do you think... There's any hope for success?
1: No, not that's that's a firm no for 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 that person. Um, you know, they're they're just two different but important chapters uh, on the timeline.
2: You mean like back then? That's their mother tongue, and they're going to speak that better than anybody. And they come somewhere else and learn this new language, and it's never quite the same
1: exactly wow they're they're not going to be able to do what i do or someone like me does um and also i'm not going to be able to fill their shoes either you know there's two it's like they're different notes in the same symphony but they are very distinct and very different i I would like to think that they're coming from a similar place of inspiration Mm -hmm manifesting in a very different fashion i would
2: love to hear that collab though if it's you know nuss and zand featuring label oh, Herkowitz is. from 1792
1: and you know <laughs> and, you know Minsk. yeah yeah i i think it might have to be one of those guys featuring nuss and zand <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's true it's true This episode is brought to you by Goldstein's Earplugs. Goldstein's Earplugs, is your kid having a bar or bat mitzvah soon? They may not have golden pipes, but you can have Goldstein's Earplugs. Um, But David, also, when you say on that level, you mean like in terms of emotional impact or something like that?
0: No, we believe as Jews, generally speaking, that the previous generations are always more refined and spiritually attuned than the current generation. That there's that as far as human refinement, it's been a downward slope. That's yes. I don't know if that's that's, that's definitely don't not wonder.
2: No <laughs> wonder we're so neurotic. It's getting worse.
1: We so did to Bobby got missed when the music was strictly Gahabi. So
0: so therefore the premise is a is a just a theoretical one because we believe that the amazing jews of 350 years ago that caliber is just can't be accomplished today now is it something to aim for to strive for obviously but practically speaking i'm speaking most practically it could be theoretically there's still room for this accomplishment but i'm saying practically speaking in the modern usage of the term greatness it's not the same greats if if you have a great in the year 2021 and you're comparing that to a great from 400 years ago they'll just be the great from 400 years ago will automatically get much more respect. Um, Now, obviously, theoretically, they could be of the same makeup and they could be of the same divine inspiration, refinement, work, service, all that stuff. But I'm just saying, practically speaking, it is never, a a person alive today will never be receiving the same credence as someone living hundreds of years ago.
2: That's, I feel like that affects so much of how you would see the world especially if you just take that as a given.
0: Uh, yeah, and it's, it's, it's amazing because, I mean, I, this is a huge digression. Cue <laughs> Q, Q Ben, my boy Ben. Digression, digression, digression. This has legal ramifications as well. Like If there was a consensus among all the scholars 500 years ago, 400 years ago, 300 years ago, even 200 years ago, about a certain question, even if scholars today who think differently, and even if there's a consensus among scholars today that the previous scholars were wrong in legal issues, obviously medical issues, there's definitely room for changes. But I'm saying religious legal issues, we will always be taking our predecessors' side to these questions. So in other words, the only questions that can be decided by the generation at hand are the new questions. Old questions which have been answered by previous generations. We accept the answers of previous generations. It's pretty much uh, across the board. So that's a legal ramification, but the same is true with the greatnesses of, of people's characters. It's a similar thing. And that's why my premise to my, of my question to Nussen of that time machine is only possible with a time machine. I would never premise my question and say, let's say there's someone as great today that was just born today as great as Hillel Paracha or some one of the great ancient uh, mystical masters. uh, It just wouldn't happen. Wow.
2: Okay. It's hard to reconcile this with the idea that I think we've talked about a lot throughout um, the episodes about trying to do your best and how to, you know, how to I mean, I think about, you know, say you're going to write a book and you're trying to write something new. Does it make sense to do that? Or should you just have 300 pages where every page just says, go read this other thing instead?
0: No, then our job is to find manifestations and applications. Like you could be busy with that your entire life and say, I'll take Hmm. all the greatnesses of previous generations, but nobody's built that bridge to today. That'll be my job. Old questions, new
2: answers, new applications. Yeah. And that's, that's what we're talking about with music as well, right? I mean, it's an old question. It's not, we're not really asking a new question about what should music do. It's can we do some of the same things now?
0: Right. And I will say another point on on the same question that you asked, so many things are not included within the religious legal tradition that you could become great within those realms, so, so in other words, just because I'm saying that we will always be taking the greatnesses of previous generations over the greatnesses of today's generation, it's only within the greatnesses of religious questions, you know, so the legal conclusions or the Torah knowledge or whatever. But if you wanted to, you know, become an expert in curling, I'm not going to say, oh, there was a curler in the shtetl that even if objectively you're way better than, I'm not going to ever say that you're not, you know, you can't match him. Of course you can It's just within the religious tradition.
2: Does music, does music go, which category does music
0: go into? I'd say within, I can't speak for all Jewish sects, but within Chabad, it definitely is a very religious experience.
2: I see.
0: So on that note, how did it get to such a religious experience? Because if you think about it, you study the text in the Torah. um, There's little, there's no mitzvahs. There's no obligations of song there four Um, words you got four words mitzvah what's a mitzvah for an obligatory good deed oh it's three words you can save that one word for later thank you okay i'll pocket that one there's (laughs) rollover
2: like sprint in the in 95
0: all right so um no cell phone company jokes are we? we so there's a there's a piece of talmud over here which gets at it um And the Talmud writes, and if we're having any Talmud scholars listening, it's in the tractate of Sanhedrin on page 101, uh, side one. And it says explicitly in the Talmud, which is a very primary Jewish source, any words from the Torah which are sung in another tune that are not cantillation notes brings evil to the world, I'm translating literally, which would basically cancel out everything we know about Jewish music until 3.2 thousand years ago. So a cantillation note would then be,
2: it's just part of a scale. Does that mean you're using the same scale or does that mean all of these things need to be matched to their particular melody?
0: It has to be matched to a particular cantillation note. So the cantillation note, according to Jewish tradition, was a tradition. It was passed down rabbi to to student for um, for all the years, but we we have that still intact. That those cantillation notes are still intact. But the Talmud over here is saying if you're not reading it in that very very uh, old school way of singing, then mm-hmm. you're bringing evil to the world. That's what it says. So even what we consider extremely Jewish 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 music from up to 500 years ago still isn't enough according according mm-hmm. to the simple meaning of this piece of Talmud. I still don't think I get. Let's give an example. Um, So my Bar Mitzvah Parsha is one I know most well. It's the first verse in my, the portion of my Bar Mitzvah is those words, right? So the cantillation notes for singing, that would be and that's it, which is, which no one sings like that already for 3000 years. Nobody sings like that. And here the Talmud saying, if you're reading any piece of Torah, not like that, not according to the traditional cantillation notes, then you're bringing evil to the world.
2: Would that particular melody be what's applied to any?
0: No, 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 no. Each, sentence? No. Each verse, each sentence will have its own unique cantillation notes. Of the whole Torah? Throughout the whole Torah and, and on. And
1: oh,
2: I see. So the whole thing, basically the whole Torah has has like a score that goes with it. Exactly.
1: Like a melodic guide, if you will.
2: Is it a guide or it's like pretty explicit? Like it's really got to be.
1: No, it's a guide that you follow.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's a very
2: strict guide. It's yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well said. So it's an unbelievable line, even if you're coming from the place of the extremist in the previous discussion that says only the only songs that are kosh are the ones 400 years old even those people need to do some answering because according to this piece of Talmud, you can't sing any words of Torah, not according to the Cantillation notes. So the commentaries get very, very busy um, on that piece of Talmud. And I'll only quote uh, one, even though there's probably tens of them. And the, the one I'll be quoting is Maimonides. He's made an appearance. He's a, a great sage within the Jewish people, um, maybe close to a thousand years ago. Nothing. you want to get me the. Yeah. Uh, I would have to ask Rabbi Google.
1: It's
2: uh, 12th, 12th century in Spain, right? And then he moves to Egypt.
0: So he writes like this. He says music, and this is not directly on this piece of Talmud, but many other commentaries make the link between this piece of Maimonides and this piece of Talmud. And he explains as follows. He says music is kosher. So long it's purposeful. And he says that Uh, Generally speaking, all things a human undertakes should serve a purpose, right? Even eating and drinking. And those things which may seem to be superfluous, like art, like music, like taking a stroll, are not necessarily bad. Because if you use those things to elevate your mood or to set the tone, then those things are not just kosher, but they're encouraged. That's what their album writes there. So that concept is basically how most commentaries understand that piece of Talmud. And they say, if you're just utilizing the words of the Torah with modern songs for the sake of your own pleasure, you know, just having a wild rager at a party house, then you're bringing evil to the world if you're just utilizing the lyrics for that. But if there's serving a purpose, if the music is serving a purpose, he, the Rambam doesn't specify so much what that purpose is, but if it's serving a purpose for, for the betterment of society or even the individual, then music is kosher.
2: But Nussan, I feel like a lot of people with your classic crotchety old person, which I feel like maybe we've sounded like that a little bit in this, in this episode of being like, you know, it's all the old, all the new kids these days, but <laughs> that, that hip hop, would often get put in that category of ah, uh, you know, this isn't as anything fill in the blank. And why would that be different? Like even if you are like raging, even if you are drinking, even if you are like in this really animated state or whatever.
1: In that sense, in that sense, there's no there's no question um, that it that it it counts for something. And depending on the the artist. Um, I would think that and, you know, dedicated a lot of my life to, to the idea that it counts for something special and important and serves a, a, a spiritual purpose as well as, a you know, having entertainment value. So, yeah, there's no there's no question that the music that I've put out for many years is usually coming from a, a, a spiritual place, say, you know, maybe 90, 90 percent of the time. And I would like to think that a very large portion of each song, it's a little bit like, say I have a friend who I'm, I'm interested in broadening their knowledge uh, of Jewish things and Jewish lifestyle. So I might inv- invite them over to my house and bring out some, some snacks that they like, bring out a drink that they like, um, but the ultimate purpose is to enhance their spiritual existence, and enhance their their knowledge and their connection to to all of that. so you still need some bells and whistles and I suppose with with hip hop, it's just kind of uh my personal taste that that I enjoy and Hopefully others do too. But the underlying theme is that we we have a mission. In the context of struggles, good times, not so good times, um, but let's let's stay focused on on what really counts. It just it just so happens that hip hop is the is the medium I chose, the medium I grew up with. One of the mediums I grew up with, musically speaking. A lost little boy and a lost little girl. Born in different times, but they changed the world. Now the little boy's gone and the little girl too. Going up's the hardest thing never we'll ever do. Everybody seems to know that I once was upside down. You know, my biggest inspiration, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, who's the the leader of the Hasidic group um, to which I ascribe and and, and aspire, um, he basically said that whatever your talents are, no matter how modern or antiquated, you use them for a special spiritual purpose.
2: I was going to ask, when you think of the word spiritual, is there a way of explaining what that what that really means to you? Um,
1: I would say striving striving for a more refined and meaningful existence.
2: Yeah, we always get to this meaning. I don't know if this is super (laughs) because
1: it's very subjective, meaning when I say meaningful, I mean, according to morality as set forth by the Torah. Okay. that's my moral frame of reference. When I say something is meaningful or moral, I'm basing it on Torah and Torah scholars.
0: um, With you know, you know, the the tone you're taking, it seems like you're coming down pretty hard on hip hop. But I will say that basically everything within Judaism that isn't directly a good deed, like a holy artifact in and of itself is a medium. So when you say that hip hop is your medium, that's not surprising. Everything is a medium.
1: Right. And, and it could be just that I have a little PTSD from those who are very reluctant to to engage in in, in in something new or especially something like hip hop, which has far more often than not been associated with immorality, I would I would be very quick to defend hip hop as having tremendous, tremendous potential. But you know, some someone I got into a discussion the other day, and someone was saying, well, you know, all of kind of pop music are typically secular non-jewish music you could you could argue it has this kind of underbelly this this ugly side to it and i was like no 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 no! you clearly don't listen to rap and haven't listened to rap for the past few decades because rap in particular has literally promoted murder for for a long long time and um among other things so it's 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 a it's a special mission if you will that not many people are able to pull off where it still has the same sound and the same feel as as, as the the rap and hip-hop whatever that that people enjoy but to kind of swap out some of the underlying pushes for for action um, and, and what you're promoting it's it's not easy to do that and still have it sound good.
2: I mean, isn't a huge part of the history of, of rap uh, at the beginning and continuing to today being about shedding light on social conditions, on, you know, if you're specific, like NWA talking about police brutality or Tupac talking about poverty and things like that. Like there has always been I don't know if it's something specific about a a medium that is both poetry and something super rhythmic, but like, that's always been, you know, that it feels like that's always been at the heart of what is trying to happen.
1: I I, I don't think it's at the heart. I think it's close to the heart. I -hmm. think it's often been an outlet for people to vent frustration about those kinds of things. The way it really started out was ego-based expression of why I'm better than you and why you're complete garbage, which is the antithesis of all things Jewish.
2: Wouldn't you like to have some Goldstein's earplugs now? Goldstein's earplugs. They may just get some. I got to ask, what when people know about what you do, when they hear your music in a a very religious community, what are the kinds of reactions that you get?
1: Well, I guess it depends which community, because there are those that are more worldly and those that are more secluded, but it really varies. If you think about
2: somebody that's religiously observant, if we can say that, at a kind of similar degree that you are.
1: Well, I think people are usually intrigued. It's something that people typically only have some familiarity with and limited exposure to. And it's usually from from a distance. Like I literally lived a life of hip hop, which is why someone, you know, to answer David's initial question about a chassid of yesteryear traveling through time and saying, well, this sounds good. I'd like to give it a try. That's why they would likely fall on their face, um, musically speaking. They might give it a shot and who knows, maybe they'll create something entirely new that, that people actually enjoy and appreciate some of the contrast of maybe the musical background with what they're providing vocally and melodically. More or less, this it's not something that you can fake. It's not something that you can study, uh, in, my, in my opinion. Maybe I'm being too... Uh, like exclusive about it or excluding too many people uh, in my approach. But I I really think that hip hop is something that you have to have lived in order to convert it for the purpose that I was talking about in order to kind of go from that dark place to the brighter place. You have to be quite familiar with it, with the darkness. And, and that, that also speaks to the kind of vibe and approach that the music itself has. There's a certain style, a certain, um, cadence a certain confidence a certain you know musical and artistic expression that is part and parcel with a whole lifestyle mm-hmm. um that that can't just be studied it can be mimicked no question but i can i can spot a rapper who's just been rapping for 2 3 years you know from a mile away or 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 even if you've been doing it for 15 years but you never lived it i'm going to pick up on it right away and so will so will every other hip hop uh, aficionado.
2: David, were there other sources? Yeah, something sir, I really even... interesting about the comparison. I I think we were getting at the comparison between somebody basically saying, "Yo, everything is not okay," and Maimonides, who I can really imagine like listening to hip-hop like going to ska concerts like i can i he just seemed like he would be down with a lot of stuff you know he wrote about everything he was a physician you know he was hanging out in spain i feel like like,
0: i don't know people study some of his philosophical works and then reach that conclusion but i feel like his legal works aren't so popular but if you mm -hmm. start studying his legal works you start getting the energy that like no he belongs in the heart of borough park oh god this is one of those don't meet your idols kind of thing (laughs) <laughs> uh, or like meet him and realize that it's amazing. He straddles two worlds. Yeah, it could be. Um, but so you see that me bringing that piece of Talmud into Maimonides was kind of laying the foundation to the belief that Jewish music should be purposeful. Now, what that purpose is, I haven't really opened the door to. I'll try to do it very quickly because I'd like to ask Nelson some more questions.
1: Thanks
0: for tuning
2: in to this the- First of two parts of our interview with Nussan Zand will come back to you to answer once and for all those questions about purpose and about Nussan's relationship between old and new music. Are you on tenterhooks? Well, good. Um, thank you, Nussan, for your music, for your time. Uh, Tomodis Yahoo. For letting us, if he knows, uh, to use his music, Um, and for all of you for listening, and we'll catch you guys real soon. We'll leave you with some of Nussan's song, Believers, featuring Mazia.